Well, hello again. It's Thomas from Up the Arts podcast, the weekly fix of queer art and culture. Once again, thank you guys for downloading this week's programme and for continuing to support us. It really does mean a lot. Now, just before I introduce this week's guest, a little bit of a change now. Unless you've been living on Mars, you'll realise that in the last 10 days, our whole world has changed and become unrecognisable. And so we thought we'd change too. So from now and for the time being, we're going to be called Up the Arts Stuck Indoors, really just to reflect probably where you are now. So we'll be talking about literature in much more depth. We'll be looking at movies, the best ones to watch, how to stay sane whenever we're self-isolating, the best telly, the best Netflix, Apple, all the stuff that we can do when we're stuck indoors. And of course, I'm going to be spending more time talking about those live shows and events that are increasingly beginning to be streamed online. So that's us for the time being. Let's get started with the very first Up the Arts Stuck Indoors podcast. With me this week is Lucy Fryer. Journalist, personal trainer, studying psychotherapy and author. Lucy has written for The Telegraph, various other magazines and already has a book under her belt called Run, Ride, Sink or Swim. Now she's turning to a subject that's often not very often discussed within the LGBT community or indeed anywhere in her latest book, Easier Ways to Say I Love You. So welcome, Lucy, first of all. And you're the very first guest of the new podcast, Up the Arts, Stuck Indoors. How are you and the family bearing up? Hi, Thomas. Yeah, um, we're all doing okay. I think uh, I think the sunshine has helped immeasurably. So get back to me in a couple of weeks and I may have a different answer for you. But at the moment, healthy and happy. Well, I'm assuming you have a garden because I've been chatting to other people in London who uh, the sun has been an absolute nightmare for them because, of course, those of us stuck in flats, it's been uh, it's, it's so hard to stay indoors, isn't it? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I have a little garden, a little box garden where I live <laughs> in South London. And I also have the common nearby so I can walk at a suitable distance from everyone. Absolutely. Now, just before we start talking about um, about the book, as an author, you're probably quite used to working from home and working a lot on your own. So any tips for us who's coming to this new for the very first time? Um, yeah, I, I am and I'm not. I mean, I'm, I, I need to get out. I get, I get all my kind of um, my inspiration from living, really. But yes, I am used to spending a lot of time up in my study and I can while away hours writing. I feel very lucky right now that I can do that. So I think what I'd say to people is, um, you know, go with the flow, see how you feel. If you're if you're somebody who can write and work for three hours at a time, that's fine. But one of the things I've discovered lately is called the Pomodoro Technique. Um, and it's a really great way of working if you struggle to concentrate for long periods. And to, it's a sustainable way of working. So you kind of do 20 minutes. I think it's 20 minutes and then a five-minute break, then 30 minutes and then a five-minute break, and then 40 minutes and a five-minute break. But don't quote me on that. So looking at different ways of working around time is useful. Um, also just ensuring that you get out for a walk if you can. You know, things like that. And then I have a lot of inspirational things around me in my study as well. So, you know, I have quotes or pictures um and i have my favorite books just i cannot lend them out they have to be there even if i don't touch them for months <laughs> you know that they're they're there if you need to go to them in these kind of uh, stressful moments do you <laughs> well exactly 
So, um, well, your book, uh, Easier Ways to Say I Love You, first of all, it's been described as as a brave book, a really important book, intense. There's so many great um, comments from from, uh, those who've reviewed it already. Tell us a little bit then of background about um, about the book and, um, yeah, the story. Okay, well, I I started writing the book. Um, I had been in a relationship with my wife, who is B in the book for eight years, nine, nine years by then. Um, we've been civilly partnered for a, a long time as well. And um, we had decided sort of a little bit um, muddily to open up our relationship. We didn't really set down any rules and we didn't do anything sensible, like really think about how this was going to work. And I um, began to start seeing someone else at the same time. And it caused an awful lot of angst and pain and uh, she was also exploring previous to that. And that was also very, very difficult and painful. And at the same time, she was pregnant. So there you have one big mess of confusion and chaos. And mm. my reaction to it was to write it. Does that make sense? Does it make sense to write in such chaos? I mean, it did to me. So that's what I did. I wrote it. And then the story emerged from that as I started to write more about the relationship changes we were going through, trying to become consciously non-monogamous, perhaps even polyamorous, whilst she was also pregnant and then gave birth to our son. Um, and I suppose the process of writing it really kept me alive. And then I delved deeper into my childhood, my attachment trauma, and made sense of some of the things I was going through by writing about that as well and linking it all together. So how much of this book then is autobiographical? It's all true. Oh, it's a memoir, so it's all completely true. Um, A is the woman that I met um, and started seeing. B is my wife. Um, A is now very much still in my life and, I, and is my girlfriend. And I'm L. So yeah. What then set out? What are the the kind of common parameters of a polyamorous relationship? What do we? Because we don't. A lot of people won't know what that is. Well, yes, and I, I had to discover on the job, really, so I didn't really know the answer to these questions. But um, I think polyamory really just is defined as having many loves. That's what it means. It's actually the genus of the word comes from both the Greek and the Latin, which sort of is as confusing as polyamory itself. But it has a really solid um, heart behind it, which is that the suggestion that one can love more than one person in the same way that you can love more than one child or more than one pet. And I really, really like that. I really believe in it in my head. Um, it's a kind of bracket of conscious non-monogamy. That would be the umbrella term would be conscious non-monogamy or ethical non-monogamy. And polyamory falls underneath that as a, a form of this where people tend to have more lasting and romantically deep um, involvements as well. And that's legit, if you like. The crucial thing is that everybody involved knows about everyone else. Absolutely. And also, I suppose the other the other important thing to say is that um, everyone within the relationships don't have to be same sex. That this is a polyamorous. They don't. It doesn't have to be three females or three males. It's a it's a way of life that in fact it, it your stories in. about um about three females but that's not always the case absolutely in fact i i think our story is quite unusual um and i think that the, the combination of two women and one man or um the other way around is much much more normal and of course you can get i don't know the official terms for when there are four or five or more people involved but there are lots of different kinds of polyamorous setups yeah and children and, and families as well and 
throughout this whole period of of um discovering this has there been moments of um discrimination is there stigma around it because it's it on the face of it people might look at it and think well they just don't understand it really they just perhaps a lot of people just don't simply understand how someone can deeply and genuinely love more than one person what stigma have you found well, there's the first thing that you've outlined, which is it has to be a sign that something's wrong with you, with your relationship. Um, and then also, and, and and I can understand that point of view because I used to take it. I think I, I used to believe that as well, that, you know, you couldn't fully love someone and have any kind of loving um, or erotic feelings for someone else. It was always a sign that something was wrong in the current setup. Um, that's one stigma. Another one is very much around the fact that, um, we're all parents and, and, you know, this idea that somehow being different, it reminds me of how people treated um, gay people uh, 20, 20, 30 years ago when they were having children, you know, that we will, we will screw our children up by living in this way. It's an interesting concept as well, the book as well. I suppose you're, you're laying so much of yourself bare whenever you're writing a memoir. How difficult was it? And talk me through some of those dark places that you, you, went returned to in order to to write the book i should firstly say that i've been in and out of psychotherapy for about 10 years and i'm now training as a psychotherapist so delving into my past and my emotional landscape walking around the emotional landscape has never well it's not for a long time been alien to me and i've done it increasingly over the years so but there's something about going back into it and writing which can be cathartic but also quite painful because i had to get really into those those darker memories I had to go back to times when I was seven and eight and suffered acute separation anxiety and also back through parts of my 20s you know when I came out for example and the difficulty around that and my parent my parents separating at the same time and what was going on for me then so yeah I went right back and I went right back to stories I've heard about myself as a baby as well and 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 linked some of those things too goodness so that you really you really were laying laying yourself bare but I suppose again for some people they might not be able to understand the fact that you know the writing is a real is a is a sense of therapy yeah I think um the writing in the first instance is a kind of therapy but I do think we need to be aware to use writing that is then for publication and public consumption as a form of therapy you know, I have as many thousand words of cuttings of this memoir as I do the finished product. The finished product is a craft, um, and it's very much, you know, it's a bit like baking. Everything had to be exact in order for it to work. But a lot of the writing was just therapeutic and getting it out there. So, yes, writing can be therapeutic. The, the act of creating this piece of work was therapeutic, but, you know, it is fundamentally a piece of art rather than a piece of therapy. Absolutely. And I mentioned uh, right at the beginning that it's been described as a very brave book um, because you could have written all this down and not published it. It would still have been part of the therapy and part of um, your process. But you decided to um, to publish it and put it out there. Why did you decide then, you know, now was the time to, to issue a memoir? I sort of didn't, I didn't really have a choice because in many ways, because my best work comes from my own experience and Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, and there are lots that I could posit, but you know, I am, I am a writer and it's a big part of my identity and and writing my experience is a way I process it and share it and communicate it. Um, You know, so I I had to do it that way because if I dressed it up as fiction, it just, it, it wouldn't really have, 
had the same impact. Mm -hmm. And the impact that I wanted it to have was a shame-reducing impact for others. Um, I worked through quite a lot of shame in the writing of it, and then and then in publication again, some more came up around sexuality and polyamory and sexuality with a big and a small less. And I suppose what I feel I can do is put it out there so that others can read it and go, gosh, I've I've felt like that, I've thought that, maybe I'm not alone. And I know the books that I've read like that have helped me through my life. Well, I suppose yeah, there's a there's a a lot more perhaps of that. Uh to come as you mentioned there you've you've got a, a a little child between you and you know there may be a lot more stigma and a lot of judgment to come in the future you must be anxious or are you anxious about that it must be a huge concern um i was i was when this book came out and i was when i first started coming out as non-monogamous or certainly in a sort of unconventional setup i mean that setup is also changing all the time i should add mm-hmm. because relationships are rarely static um I was and now I've gone through all that I'm not really so bothered I've been as many times that I've been blown away by people's judgmental natures and their black and white thinking I've also been blown away by people's open-mindedness their love compassion and their acceptance of me so it's kind of made me I suppose I now think I can write what I want um and any issues around my son will deal with when they come up and also, we, you know, I'm not trying to be negative about this. I'm trying to get, you know, explore how it all came about. At the end of the day, we're talking about more than just one person loving one. This is a positive story, isn't it? It's a positive way of living. You're you're not harming anyone. You're not hurting anyone. You're not going and having affairs. This is a, a, a way of life that is very positive and constructive. Yeah, I think I think it really can be when it works. And I also mm. think that that there are a lot of mistakes that can be made, lots of which we did make in terms of lack of boundaries and not not really having the difficult, difficult conversations um, when they were necessary and having them when they were kind of an emergency, if you like. Um, but I think that polyamory, when done well, and conscious non-monogamy can be an extremely positive force in people's lives and actually remove a lot of resentment from relationships. But I also think monogamy can be, when chosen rather than a default, thing can be an extremely positive addition to people's lives as well is there is there a group or is there is there a community of people like-minded people in the way there is like a um, gay group or transgender community is is that how it works or is it just people living their lives there are there are a lot actually thomas there's Mm -hmm. there's uh, polyamory uk is a facebook group there's uh, Polly Weekly, the podcast. There's there's quite a lot of different groups of people out there. There's um, MJ Barker's book, Rewriting the Rules, is fabulous on this as well. Um, and yeah, you just start Googling this stuff and there are increasing numbers, or there were before the lockdown, there are increasing numbers of gatherings. Um, mm-hmm. An app called Field, for example, F-E-E-L-D, where you can go on and there, I think there are 21 different um, identity options. So, you know, if you want to describe your sexuality on there, you, you've got 21 different options instead of, I think, but it's certainly much more than three or four. So, mm-hmm. and then there's um, there's another thing called Nexus, which is great, and meetings for conscious non-monogamous individuals to discuss things. It's not really all about getting your clothes off, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So what next then? You say you write from the heart. You write from what you know then. So are you on a third book or are you back to your journalism? Are you focusing on your studies at the moment? What's the plan for the future? 
Well, I'm, I'm focusing on my studies. I'm also I'm also working as a therapist as part of as part of those studies. Um, quite hard at the moment. I'm obviously focusing on being a parent. I'm focusing on being a lover. Um, and all of the things that comes with with having relationships and and those changing relationships. But yeah, my writing is still a big part of me. I'm 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 working on an idea for one nonfiction book, and I'm also working creatively on another memoir. But you know, this is early days, so it's hard to say what they're truly about. But I'm sure that what we're going through at the moment will feature in the memoir. I think it has to. It's going to be such a big part of uh, of everyone's life for the foreseeable future, isn't it? Yeah, I think. Well, we don't we don't fully know how long, and that's what's so difficult for humankind is to deal with uncertainty. Exactly. Change is the only inevitable thing in all of our lives, but we didn't expect this to happen so quickly. <laughs> no, not at all. I totally agree. And in terms of then the books that you say are on your, your bookcase then, any tips of things that other people perhaps can turn to after they've finished reading Easier Ways to Say I Love You, of course? Give me a couple of recommendations. Mm-hmm. Yes, please read mine first. My, mine is quite a quick read, actually. But, um, it is, really... it is actually. It's a really use, you know, it's a very um, handy little, I've got the paperback version, and it's it's so nice. It's really handy. Yeah. Um, so I was really inspired um, before writing it by Maggie Nelson, her work uh, with Bluets and the Argonauts, um, by Maggie O'Farrell's memoir, I Am, I Am, I Am. I've always been a big fan of Jeanette Winston, particularly her memoir, uh, which came out a few years ago. And uh, and at the moment, I've just finished um, Carmen Maria Machado's In the Dream House, which is honestly sublime. It's a memoir. It's really? an LGBTQ memoir. Very, very powerful. I really recommend. And I am next going to be reading Glennon Doyle's Untamed as well, which has just come out. Well, I think if this goes on for long, that's plenty of food for thought there for, mm-hmm. for all of us. And in the first instance then, Lizzie, where can we get a hold of Easier Ways to Say I Love You? Uh, well, Thomas, you can uh, anyone can buy it from my publisher's website, Myriad Editions, mm-hmm. and I'd love it if you can do that because they're an independent publisher and they're wonderful. Um, obviously, you can get it on Amazon. You can get it from the Waterstones website. Um, and pretty much in any independent bookshop uh, we want you to buy from there now because they are selling most of them online and they will close if they don't get sales over the next few months. And is it in Gay's The Word, obviously the, the gay bookshop up in Holborn? Oh, yes, it's in there. Yes, yes. I never yeah. quite got around to going and signing some copies and then the lockdown happened. So they're not signed, but those guys have been really supportive as well. Yeah, I would urge people if they can spend a, well, obviously they have to do it online, that's true. I was going to say pop, spend an afternoon heading down there. But um, yeah, definitely go online and try and get a copy. And as you say, supporting um, independence is, is one of the ways we're going to get out of this mess when it's all over, the economic backlash of this. So, um, Lucy, thank you so much for taking the time. And um, People who uh, have listened to other podcasts will realise that this one, we are remote as well. So normally I like to meet my guests and chat and have a coffee and and sit down and have a, a bit of a laugh with them so it's always um this is a little bit different for me and um so thank you for taking the time out oh you're so welcome i've really enjoyed it lucy fryer there speaking to me earlier from her home 
That was the first Up the Arts Stuck Indoors. And as I mentioned earlier, we're definitely going to be looking at more literature, movies and television whilst we are all stuck indoors, self-isolating. But it's been a delight again to record another programme for you. Please do stay in touch with us via social media. We're on Twitter at Up the Arts Show. Email upthearchshow at outlook.com if you fancy dropping me an email with some ideas or what you think of the shows so far and of course you can check out the website which is uptheartspodcast.com this podcast is available on all of your favorite podcast apps so spotify apple and uh, elsewhere so please do download it share it tell your friends and family to do the same and until next time i uh, will see you then take care stay safe more than ever